From WBEZ Chicago and PRX, this is Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. And I'm Greg Cott. From Sly and the Family Stone and Heart to the Partridge Family, there have been plenty of family bands, real and fictional, in music history. This week, we'll share some of our favorites. Plus, Wilco is back with their 11th studio album, Ode to Joy. We'll give you our takes. And Jim drops a coin into the Desert Island jukebox. That's all coming up on Sound Opinions. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and later in the show, we're talking about the best family bands. But first, let's review some new music. That is a little of Love is Everywhere, parens, Beware, by Wilco from its 11th studio album, Ode to Joy. Wilco, a band uh, that that probably doesn't need much introduction, at least not on this show. Uh, You know, it all starts with Uncle Tupelo, one of the founding forces in the alternative country movement in the early 90s. They disband in 1994. Jay Farrar goes his way with Sunvolt, and Jeff Tweedy goes his own with Wilco. Ten albums follow, uh, plus all sorts of detours and solo albums. Now comes studio album number 11. It has put out a sort of manifesto with this album where Jeff Tweedy asks the question, does anybody really need new Wilco music. And he says uh, uh, they felt like they had something to prove. It was time to come together again. Let's play a song from this album, and then we will give our opinions on Ode to Joy. I should note, Mr. Cott, my partner, uh, my my family member in this little endeavor of ours, uh, wrote the definitive biography of Wilco, but that's already quite some time ago. What year did Learning How to Die come out, Greg? Uh, 2004. Let's hear what they're giving us in the new music. Uh, this is the song We Were Lucky by Wilco on Sound Opinions.
That is We Were Lucky from Wilco's new studio album, Ode to Joy. Um, this is a record um, that is apparently ironically titled, because I'm not <laughs> hearing a ton of joy in this record, Jim. No, no. Uh, you know, it, uh, it doesn't bear a lot of relationship to the fourth movement of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, at least for me. And that's fine. They, you know, the sarcasm has always been a part of the Wilco world. Jeff Tweedy's a worrier for people who don't know him. He he tends to conflate his own personal insecurities with with what's going on in the world around him. And you're hearing that seeping into not only the lyrics, but this sort of weird, uh, low-key, ominous atmosphere that seems to be underneath a lot of these songs, you know, pervading a lot of these songs. It's a very uh, arty folk record. People who are expecting, you know, more upbeat, up-tempo Wilco music are going to be disappointed. I think, again, it's more about um, what can we add to the conversation that's new. It's not about repeating ourselves or reprising old glories. It's about uh, pushing into new territory. They're doing that again here. The drumming and the acoustic guitar and the voice are the central elements in this record. The record started as a collaboration between drummer Glenn Kochi and Tweedy. Then the other band members were brought into color around that. You can hear those rhythms as being central to the record. Now Glenn Kochi, one of the best drummers in the world, is essentially playing these very trudging kind of drum beats throughout this record. Tweedy has talked about this as being the sound of a heartbeat or a marching rhythm. Or some people may just think it's the sound of some guy limping down the street, you know, it, it, a wounded person. <laughs> uh, and, and okay, I get that. On crutches. I, I can understand why they would feel that way. But everything Wilco does is done with intention. Um, the record comes together for me in that song we just played. There's a couple of Nels Klein solos, these spasms of noise that emerge from that murk that's underneath a lot of these songs that are kind of a short, sharp, you know, stick in the eye. It's kind of like, oh, where'd that come from? And mm. it's, it's exciting. It's probably the most exciting moment on the record. There's a lot of big questions being asked here. Uh, and a lot of anxiety. Are we all in love just because in bed all day I can't escape my domain? Sometimes I'm just a hole for you to get in. The record is really suggesting that no one's really safe in, in this in this world we're living in right now. I mean, this is a dark, dark record, and I think the atmosphere reflects it. It is not a record that is going to win Wilco a lot of new fans. It requires a lot of patience uh, to get through. Uh, I'm not recommending it for that reason, but at the same time, I find some stuff in here that I find really intriguing. Well, you know, look, I am a fan of Dark Knight of the Soul, art folk with atmospheric records, okay? You know, and you go back to Tonight's the Night by Neil Young or the third albums by The Velvet Underground or Big Star, and what you realize is that in, in addition to those really slow, languid, quiet songs that mark those albums, there are other emotions and other sometimes loud yeah. songs. It's always a mistake for a critic to review an album you wish the band made instead of the one they did. I'm not saying that. I'm saying Wilco uh, at a period. 
between 99 and 2004, Summer Teeth, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot, A Ghost is Born. Um, we're in that league of the Velvet Underground, the best of Neil Young, uh, big star. And I think they've been lost for a while. There are moments uh, of beauty, to be sure, on everything they've done since uh, 2004, in particular Sky Blue Sky in 2007. But man, this is a boring record. Unless you're willing to invest the time of having had a two or three decade history with this band to care, to look for the gems. It could have been edited. There could have been three, four songs, Love is Everywhere, uh, Hold Me Anyway, uh, you know, and then the rest of an album that took advantage of one of the most creative uh, bands uh, of the last 30 years. You know, it's hard to find the Wilco in this Wilco record, and and that's a huge disappointment to me. Yeah, I had to struggle guys. not to be bored. Now that we've had our say on the new Wilco record, we want to hear what you think. What are your thoughts on the latest from Wilco? Call and leave a message on our hotline at 888-859-1800. Jackson 5, one of the all-time great family bands. This week, we are taking a look at groups that are made up of brothers, sisters, multiple generations, cousins, you name it. There have always been family bands throughout pop music history, and there is something, uh, it can be argued, that's a little special about them. They're electrifying. We're going to list some of our favorites. Greg, you're starting us off. I'm going to pick the Staple Singers as my uh, first family band that I want to focus on. Staple Singers out of Chicago, but you've got to go back to uh, Dockery Farm in Mississippi for the origins of, of Pop Staples. That's where he grew up and learned blues guitar listening to people like Howlin' Wolf, who played down at Dockery Farm. That was one of the cradles of the blues in the early 20th century. So Pops had this blues-saturated guitar style that he brought north with him when he moved to Chicago in the mid-30s. Raised his family, he had his son Purvis, his daughters Cleotha, Yvonne, and Mavis, and basically created a gospel group with his children. Sat him around at his feet in the couch on their south side apartment, started teaching him the harmony parts that he learned growing up on Dockery Farm when he was doing gospel music as well as the blues side by side, and then integrated the two art forms. He was one of the first people to bring the electric guitar into those south side churches. So it used, used to be basically a piano and organ when you'd hear a gospel group performing in church, but Pops had that distinctive electric guitar sound. And the other thing about the group that really stood out besides the beautiful harmonies that the family had together was Mavis, the youngest of the daughters, who had this deep contralto voice, amazing voice at a very young age. 
So the contrast between Pops's guitar and Mavis's voice and those beautiful harmonies on top uh, created this unique sound. A lot of people know this group primarily because of its hits during the Stax Records era in the 1970s when they recorded a bunch of hits for that great Memphis soul label like uh, Respect Yourself and I'll Take You There. But I want to go back to the very beginnings of the group when they started recording their first big songs for VJ Records. These were really stripped down performances with Pops's guitar basically the only instrumentation on many of these recordings and and then the voices of the group. The song I'm going to play is a song that the Rolling Stones loved. In fact, they loved so much they ripped it off. <laughs> Keith, Keith Richards freely admits that he was listening to the staple singers perform this song when he came up with the guitar riff for the Stones version of The Last Time, one of their first big hits in the mid-60s. The staple singers had a hit with it a few years earlier, and they called it This May Be The Last Time. Obviously, the Stones changed the lyrics, secularized the lyrics. This is an old classic gospel song that Pops rearranged. This is called This May Be The Last Time from the staple singers on Sound Opinions. That is This May Be the Last Time from the Staple Singers, a great family band. Jim, what do you got next for us? Greg, when you think about great hit singles about being a family, We Are Family by Sister Sledge shoots right to the top of the list, right? I was talking about this with our producers, and they didn't realize that Sister Sledge actually (laughs) were all sisters. They originally formed as a group called Mrs. Williams' Grandchildren in their native Philadelphia. 
Why Mrs. Williams' grandchildren? Because Viola Williams, the great opera singer, was the grandmother of Kim Sledge, Debbie Sledge, Joni Sledge, and Kathy Sledge. Now, this band came along fairly late in the disco explosion, but they made a big mark with an album produced by Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards of Chic. That's the one that had We Are Family, He's the Greatest Dancer. Really great songs. Frankie was a hit that came later. I'm going to play a little bit lesser known tune. It was the title track of their 1981 album. Narada Michael Walden produced this one, All American Girls. I just love the idea of these four sisters from Philadelphia. It just, I, in my mind, they're always sitting <laughs> on a stoop in the summer and they're kind of just jamming and start singing together. And, and this song has that vibe. There was a lot of female self-empowerment, a lot of good vibes, and those killer grooves. Here is All American Girls by Sister Sledge on Sound Opinions. All American Girls by Sister Sledge on Sound Opinion's 1981 hit. Greg, you got another family hit for us? Thank you, Jim. I want to stick with the sisters theme here for a minute. Sisters Maggie, Terry, and Suzzy Roach, the Roaches, a vocal group trio out of Greenwich Village uh, in New York in the mid-70s, 
recorded their debut album in 1979. They picked up a lot of fans on that Greenwich Village folk scene during that era, including Robert Fripp, the great guitarist and mastermind behind King Crimson. He was a fan. He ended up playing on a number of their records, producing them, and was just struck, as were many people during that era, by this quirky mix of folk, doo-wop, bluegrass, barbershop that these girls were doing. They weren't really classically trained singers, but this is going to come up a lot in this show. This whole idea of when family members sing together, when they harmonize, it is something unique and unreproducible. No one else can sound quite like family members when they sing together, and it was very much true of the Roaches. The song I'm going to play is from the Robert Fripp produced debut album in 1979. It's a song called Hammond Song, and it's about the city of Hammond in Louisiana, where Maggie and Terry were staying soon after they recorded on Paul Simon's There Goes Ryman Simon album. And it's basically Maggie talking to Terry. She sees her getting involved with this guy and says, you know, if you if you stay here in Hammond, you're never going to come back home to New York City. Terry answers back in the middle of the song, hey, sis, lay off. I know what I'm doing. I can handle it. <laughs> so you have this little conversation between sisters in the middle of this song. It's Hammond's song from the Roaches on Sound Opinions. If you go down to Greg's pick for one of his favorite family bands, The Roaches with Hammond Song. Coming up, we'll share more of our favorites in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX.
baby, I feel good From the moment I rise Feel good from Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My partner is Greg Cott. We are celebrating some of the great family bands in rock history. Of course, the Kinks were one, Greg. Ray and Dave Davis. The two brothers didn't get along that well, you know? Uh, But I'm going to play, next up on my hit list, two sisters who got along very well indeed. I'm talking about Anne and Nancy Wilson of Heart. The group was formed by some boys before either of the Wilson sisters got involved, but it really clicked once Nancy, the guitarist, and Anne, the vocalist, came on board. They had that classic Led Zeppelin model of hard-driving, heavy rock, plus beautiful acoustic folk music. I'm going to play a song that may be familiar to listeners of classic rock radio. I would say, even if you think you know this song, stop and listen to how ferocious the guitar is and how wonderful the vocal performance of Ann Wilson is. I, it, it was, what an intense song. And I never read this story. I was going back through my, my rock encyclopedias to see where this song came from. And it turns out, you know, you know, the Wilson sisters have been fighting sexism as pioneers of women in rock throughout their entire career. In the mid-70s, a rock journalist, one of our brethren, but not a very good one, made an off-color remark to the sisters about how unnaturally close they were. And Ann Wilson was furious, went back to the hotel room, and fired off the lyrics to Barracuda. I'd never, I've known this song for my whole life, right? One of the first rock concerts I saw, but I didn't know that this was an anti-rock critic song. So here is Heart with Barracuda on Sound Opinions.
That is Heart with Barracuda, one of Jim DeRogatis' picks as a great family band. And Jim, you're absolutely right. Very, not only a great band, very underrated band. Do not get enough love. Uh, more more love for Heart, yeah. And another great sister act. Here's one more for you. The Breeders from uh, the Cannonball album in 1993. You know, this band started out basically as a collaboration between so-called second fiddles. You had Kim Deal from the Pixies the bass player in that group, uh, joining forces with Tanya Donnelly of Throwing Muses, two Boston-based alternative rock bands where Deal was kind of second fiddle to Black Francis and the Pixies in terms of songwriting, and Tanya Donnelly was kind of playing second fiddle to Kristen Hirsch in Throwing Muses. So here they join forces. They end up making a pretty cool 1990 album called Pod and then a four-song EP in 92. Donnelly ends up leaving to form her own group, Belly. Kim brings in her twin sister, Kelly Deal, to play in Breeders. Now, it's interesting. They call it Breeders. That was the band that Kim and Kelly Deal were both in when they were growing up in Dayton, Ohio, about a decade earlier. So here they were reuniting, and they ended up blowing away all those respective bands, the Pixies, Throwing Muses, in terms of commercial impact, at least, with the album they made together as the Breeders in 1993. That last Splash album was a huge alternative rock hit. The key song on it was the one I'm going to play. They had this knack for writing these really skewed kind of bubblegum songs. Little touches of the avant-garde in there, but still at the same time really catchy, sticky melodies informed by those really charming, again, vocal harmonies. Kim and Kelly, when they sang together, they really didn't sound like anybody else. Here's a song, Cannonball, with that stop-start bass line, those tart but sweet vocals, one of the defining singles of the early 90s on Sound Opinions.
Cannonball by the Breeders, a good pick, Greg, but we've been heavy so far in this show on the sister acts. I'm going to go now to a cousin act. Born in Brooklyn, Russell Tyrone Jones would uh, become famously associated with the borough of Staten Island because his mom would take him on the ferry to uh, visit his cousins, Robert Diggs and Gary Kreiss. These three gentlemen would become much better known as Old Dirty Bastard, <laughs> the RZA, and the Genius, cornerstone members of the Wu-Tang Clan. No exaggeration to say one of the most important bands in the history of hip-hop. They ruled the 90s with this mixture of dark, mysterious, ominous grooves and kung fu movie imagery and putting a spin on that classic played out trope of godfather gangster drug dealer thing i always saw them as a comic book that had sprung into musical Mm -hmm. form it was a great movie in your mind i'm going to play a track that features all three of the cousins trade in verses protect your neck from the uh, enter the wu-tang 36 chambers record it's produced by the rizza the family connection goes on because after the rizza had his five-year plan for the inception of wu-tang clan he turned over manager duties to his brother, Mitchell Devine Diggs. I mean, these guys all kept it in the family. They were childhood friends. They grew up together, and they were blood. Here is Wu-Tang Clan on Sound Opinions. First things first, man, you f- with the worst. I'll be sticking pins in your head like a f- nurse. I'll attack any n- who's slacking this mat. Come fully packed with the fat bucket stack. Shame on you when you step through, too. The old dirty bastard, straight from the Brooklyn Zoo. And I'll be damned if I let any man come to my center. You enter the winter, straight up and down that shit. That cam, you can't slam. Don't let me get fooled on the man. The old dirty bastard is dirty and sticking. They saw unique rolling with the night of the creeps. We rolling with the stars. Ain't saying gas, bite my style. I'll bite your motherfucker. Yeah, I lie, my style is wild, so book me. Not long is how long that this rhyme took me. Ejected styles from my lethal weapon. My pen that rocks from here to Oregon. Here's more again. Catch it like a psycho flashback. I love gats. Rap was a gun. You wouldn't bust back. I come with shit, all types of shapes and sounds. And wherever I lounge is my stomping grounds. I give an order to my peeps across the water. To go and snatch up props all around the border. And get far like a shooting star. The shoe I'm all is never on the life of Pablo Escobar. Point blank as I kick the square bits. There it is. You're Yo, chill with the feedback block, we don't need that. It's 10 o'clock, ho, where the f*** just see that? Feeling mad hostile, ran out postal. Throwing like Christ when I speak the gospel. Stole with the holy roll, then attack the globe with the buckets. Style the ruckus, 10 times 10 men committing mad sin. Turn the other cheek and I'll break your f- chin. Slain boom bangs like African drums. Coming around a mountain when I come. Crazy flamboyant for the rap enjoyment. My clan increased like black unemployment. Another one dare took, took a genius Take us the f*** out of here The woo was too slamming For these coke killer labels So ain't had hits Since I seen Aunt Mabel Be doing all the sin Like Kane did Abel Now they money's getting stuck To the gum under the table That's what you get When you misuse what I invent Your empire falls And you lose every cent But trying to blow up a scrub Now that thought is just as right As a 20 watt light bulb Should've pumped it when I rocked it So stingy They got short arms and deep pockets This goes on in some companies with majors that scared to death to pump these. First of all, who's your A&R? A mountain climber who plays an electric guitar. But he don't know the meaning of dope when he's looking for a suit and tie rap that's cleaner than a bar soap. And I'm the dirtiest thing in sight. Matter of fact, bring out the girls and let's have a mud fight. Protect Your Neck by Wu-Tang. Good pick, Jim. 
Now we want to hear from you. What's your favorite family band? Call 888-859-1800 and leave us a message with your response and why. Coming up, Jim and I share some more of our favorite family bands. And Jim, you take us on a trip to the desert island. What are you playing this week? Greg, I'm going to play a song in light of the current climate crisis uh, that may mean the uh, desert island will soon be underwater. That's in a minute on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and PRX. I'm sleeping and right in the middle of a good dream. Like all at once I wake up from something that keeps knocking at my brain. Just know that I want you back. Just know that I want you. I'll take the fall and the fault, and I'll give you all the love I never gave before I left. Just know that I want you back. Just know that I want you back. Just know that I want you. I'll take the fall and the fault, and I'll give you all the love I never gave before I left. I know it's hard. Welcome back to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis. My virtual brother, at least on this radio show, is Greg Cott. And this week we are discussing some of our favorite family bands. Greg, I don't think there's any denying that there's a a special sound that comes from making music with blood relatives. But, you know, it isn't always all fun and games. You can hate your family, too. There have been examples of that in the great family bands. Any way you cut it, the family dynamic makes for some special uh, music, often. You've got one more pick along these lines, right? I do, Jim. Sly and the Family Stone. It's right there in the name. Brothers Sly Stone and the uh, singer-guitarist Freddie Stone combining forces to form Sly and the Family Stone in the mid-60s. Later on, they're joined by Freddie's sister, singer-keyboardist Rose Stone. So there were three immediate family members, and they fleshed it out with a diversity of musicians. They crossed all these boundaries, integrated biracial co-ed band, blend of cultures, voices, genders, And in a way, that was a great representation of the way they were blurring the lines in their music as well. You know, soul, funk, rock, psychedelia, all mashed up together. Then they topped it off with these empowering messages. And it was implicit in there. You you just had to look at them. It wasn't just for the white hippies, you know, turn on, tune in, drop out. It was about people of color and women, the people outside the boundaries of society at the time in, in the 60s. Everybody's welcome to this party. So they had a string of hits, five top 10 hits in the, in the late 60s, four really important albums. I think the best of those albums was that 1969 Stand album, and I'm going to play a track from it. It's Sly and the Family Stone with You Can Make It If You Try on Sound Opinions. You can make it if you try.
you can make it if you try by Sly and the Family Stone. Greg, we were debating whether they qualified for our four-in-a-row great album show a while back, and they almost do. I'm going to end, though, on what I think is probably the ultimate family band of all time. They inspired a TV show, The Partridge Family, (laughs) who weren't really family, I'll have you know. The story of the Cowsills is a great one. In 1965, flush with Beatlemania, Bill, Bob, and Barry very alliterative, were playing in a band and and covering Beatles songs. And eventually, when he got old enough, their brother John joined. And eventually, when she got old enough, their sister Susan joined. And then Paul joined. And, well, why not add mom to the mix? Barbara, who they called mini-mom because she was very short. And suddenly, you had this seven-member family group playing on the pier in Newport, Rhode Island, doing hours' worth of Beatles covers. They got discovered. They began to make some records, didn't catch on right away. And then they got signed to MGM and had a hit with the song I'm going to play, Indian Lake. You said earlier there's something amazing about uh, family members harmonizing, and I think it's even more so when, in the case of the Staples Singers, it's multi-generations of a family. These songs are naive, but they're incredibly catchy in a sort of the way we appreciate the monkeys, right? You don't want to listen to a lot of cow sills in a row because it gets a little saccharine, but in selected hits, it's great. And Susan's voice in particular, I think, always was the great one. We've seen her play with any number of great bands over the years doing guest backing vocals, still making music to this day. Here are the Cow Sills with Indian Lake on Sound Opinions. You take a bus mark, Lakewood Drive, and you keep on riding till you're out of the city. Where the air is fine with the sweet smelling pine and the countryside's pretty. That is a little bit of Indian Lake by the Cow Sills, and now we want to hear from you. What is your favorite family band? Call 888-859-1800, give us your answer, tell us why, and we'll keep the conversation going in our discussion group, which you can find on our Facebook page. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just across the way, 
You remember, we were shipwrecked together. As often as possible, we'd like to take a trip to the desert island and play a track we cannot live without. Jim, it's your turn this week. Greg, I'm going to go uh, super topical this week. Like most people who believe in science, I am somewhat frightened that we may only have like a decade left before the environment of this planet changes permanently and we all have to succumb to climate crisis. I think it was very moving when a teenage activist, Greta Thunberg, appeared before the United Nations recently and gave a speech saying, hey, world, especially you adults, pay attention. We have to do something to stop this now. Now, way back in uh, the spring of 2016, we had the great environmental journalist and activist Bill McKibbins on the show uh, to talk about the need for music to help motivate us to fight for climate, some sane action that will save our planet. That was on Earth Day in 2016. And one of the things he said is, you know, we need more music about this. Now, Greta Thunberg is not a musician. My God, she's accomplished enough at age 16 talking to the world. But (laughs) a death metal musician in New York who drums for a band called Suka, John Mollusk, has put together what may be the most brilliant internet meme video I've ever seen. He has merged Greta Thunberg speaking to the UN, her very moving speech, with death metal. Now, this makes perfect sense Mm. to me, right? Because there is no more genre that is more apocalyptically minded. (laughs) This is the sound of the looming end of the world, all death metal. And uh, John Mollusk is a very good death metal drummer and producer. He merged the sound of Greta speaking, put her through some voice processing. Even that didn't get her low enough for the standard death metal vocals. He told Rolling Stone he had to double her vocal with his own. It's hysterically funny and unlike much of what has been on the internet attacking young Greta he did this in the spirit of love you know she's from the Nordic lands that is where the best death metal comes from he lists some of his favorite groups as you know entombed and Gohira and at the gates and Sepultura this is great death metal and Greta adds to it and she is in on the joke she tweeted just a couple of days ago I've moved on from this climate thing from now on I will be doing death metal only Several exclamation points. Greta says we all have to act now before things are too far gone, and uh, she makes a compelling case. What's your message to world leaders today? Here is uh, Greta Thunberg at the United Nations talking to the world, combined with um, Death Metal by John Mollusk on Sound Opinions. My message is that we'll be watching you.
An inspired mashup, Greta Thunberg and Death Metal. Greg, what do we have on the show next week? Next week, Jim, we have great songs by horrible bands. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be fun. For more sound opinions, listen to our podcast wherever you find such things. The show has been produced, as always, by Brendan Banisak, Alex Claiborne, Iona Contreras, and Andrew Gill. Sound opinions, everyone's a critic. So give us a call on our hotline, 888-859-1800. New messages. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Mike, New York City. I am 52 years old, and I've been a lifelong rock and roll fan. And I mention this because I only discovered Sound Opinions three weeks ago. And as soon as I listened to a couple episodes, I said, I have found my podcast. So I'm so happy to have found you. I thank you for your music recommendations. So keep it up, and I look forward to listening to the next 800 episodes that I have to catch up on. Hi, this is Lenore calling from Brookfield, Illinois. I was calling to comment on your show about Fugazi. So happy to finally get to hear you guys comment on them. In 1990, when Repeater came out, I was a sophomore in high school working at McDonald's with my friends. We couldn't afford to go and see all the shows that we probably wanted to, but it didn't really matter because Fugazi kind of provided that for us. I remember going to the roller rink and seeing them there, paying $5, wanting a Fugazi t-shirt, even though you were not supposed to wear a Fugazi t-shirt. This is not a Fugazi t-shirt. I just had so many great memories with my friends. Thanks, guys, for bringing that flashback. Hi, my name is Erica, and I'm calling from Chicago. My first Fugazi show was in 1989 in a high school gym in Boston, and it really revolutionized my perspective of music, having grown up on punk and hardcore. Uh, I was 17, and I was hooked after that. Thank you. Bye. Yeah, hey, my name is Jeremy from SoCal. Um, you were asking if um, a Fugazi show had changed anyone's life. I think, um, yeah, for sure. In 1993, the first show I saw at Fugazi was at the Hollywood Palladium. And that was kind of the first 
time that I'd seen a show kind of blow my mind where the show was completely different from their album. I mean, I was seeing lots of punk shows back then, but they singularly kind of blew my mind. I remember that Ian started off the show by saying, every year we have played at the Palladium, someone leaves in an ambulance. And so the, the crowd was so big, I think it was just him trying to get people to take it easy on each other. But it kind of had this huge community feel. You know, people in the pit were, I mean, you know, they'd pick each other up to keep each other from being trampled and stuff like that. And again, that was kind of the first time I'd seen that or felt that. And musically, it was just unbelievable. Anyway, yeah, it was a blast. I'll never forget it. Thanks. Here's something outside. Sound like a good from that window boy. It's not anyone that we know. Only about ourselves and what we read. Words can stab as deep as night and curve like a razor's phone. Hey man, this is Morgan calling from Denver. Man, that Sergio album is absolutely a masterpiece, as you guys were saying tonight. But man, I gotta tell you what, that new Billy Strings album, Home. There's an empty spot in me, where my hometown used to be. This old boat is taking water, won't be long till it goes down. Had enough to push us over. Let me tell you what, boy, that is some red hot fire. No more messages. To share your opinions on Sound Opinions, call 888-859-1800. We'll be back next week on Sound Opinions from WBEZ Chicago and distributed by PRX. This old boat is taking water It won't be long